This is the Blossom of Thought podcast, a podcast about the body, mind, and soul. And your host is Impilo Kambule. My guest today is a very distinguished doctor, Dr. Jablane Matsebula. Dr. Matsebula completed a PhD in political sociology in 2005, focusing on political developments in South Africa during the apartheid period and the transition to inclusive democracy. He has held various positions in academia and government in Australia, including international multilateral engagement in the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Forum, APEC. G20, and the OECD. He's an experienced researcher, political analyst, negotiator, project manager, and stakeholder engagement. In academia, Dr. Matsebula has taught various political science subjects, including international human rights law, governance, social movements, political transitions, public policy research, and the social influence on educational and employment outcomes. From 2016 to 2020, Dr. Matsebula represented the Australian government in APEC forums in Peru, Vietnam, that is the ministerial level dialogue, Papua New Guinea, Chile, Malaysia. He led negotiations on the development of a regional framework for labor mobility management to allow a coordinated flow of human resources across the 21 APEC member states. During this time, Dr. Matsebula worked closely with the senior government officials and subject matter experts from the World Bank, OECD, International Organization for Migration, International Labor Organization, APEC Secretariat, and universities across the region. In 2021, Dr. Matsebula founded a not-for-profit organization, namely People Against Poverty and Corruption to Alleviate Poverty, and fight corruption in Southern Africa. Dr. Matsebula is also one of the founding members of the People's United Democratic Party, one of the political parties in Swaziland. Doctor, welcome to the Blossom of Thought podcast. Thank you very much, uh, my brother, for having me here today. You have such a rich background, and I realize here that one of the things that you have done, that you do, is negotiation and dialogues. Today, the interest that I have, I'm sure the people in Swaziland and the world will want to hear about the much-spoken dialogue in Swaziland, which the king has agreed to, as far as I follow from the newspaper headlines. Just tell us a little bit about uh, your interest in the recent past. Yes, um, uh, I'm always uh, interested uh, in political uh, development. As you mentioned uh, in the introduction, uh, I'm one of the founding members uh, of uh, uh, PDEMO, the People's United Democratic uh, uh, Movement. And negotiations has always been uh, spoken about uh, within PDEMO that um, uh, we wanted to push the absolute monarchy government uh, to a negotiation uh, process uh, that we, we always felt that uh, the country's political crisis since 1973 can be resolved through a negotiated um, uh, a process, failing which we were going to uh, organize people um, uh, into mass, mass action. So now that the, uh, there seems to be uh, a move towards that uh, objective, uh, I have got a, a lot of uh, interest uh, in this. Uh, I'm an uh, experienced negotiator. I, I negotiated uh, public policies uh, with um, uh, 21 uh, countries uh, in the Asia-Pacific economic uh, region. 
representing the, the government uh, of uh, Australia. So this is something that uh, I'm interested in. Uh, this is something that I have a, a lot of uh, experience uh, in. When did you move to Australia? Because I see now that you are based in Australia. You even representing the government of Australia. And for Swazi to do such work on the other side of the Indian Ocean, I think it's commendable. Yeah, um, first arrived in Australia in 1992. I left Swazen uh, in 19, 1990 because of uh, security reasons. Uh, so there was a warrant of uh, arrest that was issued by the police. So I managed to evade uh, arrest and uh, escape to uh, Mozambique, uh, then from Mozambique uh, to different parts of um, uh, Africa. Uh, and finally, uh, I arrived in Australia in uh, 1992. You have written an article for the breach that is a I think the bridge is under the rubric of a Swatini Institute of Alternative Ideas. I acknowledge those folks that are doing quite a great job there in informing the nation about things. And I realize that you are an occasional writer or a guest writer there. And one of the articles that has taken my interest is uh, one that relates to the dialogue. And the opening paragraph, it goes something like this. My goal in writing this article is to stimulate a conversation about the proposed national dialogue and the different options available to us as a liberation community. Let's dive into that. Sadat has had a buy-in. The king, we are told, he never came out, as far as I understand, you can correct me, he never came out and say, hey, folks, I think we need to have you sit down and have a dialogue after so many people have died. He's never... Uh, apologize for the, so many people that have died, as far as I understand. Let, let's talk about this and the interest of the Swazis in this dialogue. Uh, I, I'm interested in having us talk about the difference between national dialogue, political dialogue, and political negotiation. These, you say in the article, they may lead to various ends or ramifications. Let's talk about the differences between these three, national dialogue, political dialogue, and political negotiation? Uh, yes, this is a, a very, very interesting uh, topic. Uh, I think there's a, a lot of uh, misunderstanding, uh, not only in Swaziland, but uh, in other countries, in terms of uh, what do these concepts uh, mean. So I'm, I'm very, very interested in discussing the conceptual differences between these uh, three concepts. Uh, in terms of uh, Swaziland, I understand the, uh, uh, where the confusion is coming from. It, it's coming from uh, 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 the government, uh, but uh, uh, Sadat as well, because the, there hasn't been a further information uh, made available in public to explain what does national dialogue mean? Uh, what form is it going to take? So there are two two things here. Mm. Uh, There's an announcement by um, the royal family. Um, I I think it was in Buna uh, that announced that. It was a very short uh, announcement. uh, And and that announcement was not clear at all. What what, what does that mean? They mentioned Sibaya. So in conceptual terms, what was announced at Sibaya uh, does not meet the condition or the requirement of a, a dialogue. Let me just uh, quickly explain what, what a dialogue is. A dialogue is an exchange of ideas. It's a conversation between two or more parties regarding 
issues of uh, uh, national concern. So what was uh, announced uh, at Sibaya is not dialogue. Uh, let, let's make that clear, because we know how Sibaya uh, operates. It's a monologue. I've written two papers uh, on, this, on this subject. Part one was published by the, the bridge. Uh, part two is going to be published by the bridge as well. So let's get back to um, the differences, the conceptual differences between uh, national yes. dialogue, political dialogue, uh, and um, high-level uh, political negotiations. So when you read the SADC uh, document, the agreement between President Ramaphosa and uh, King Mswati, you can see that is about dialogue, but the announcement by Sibaya is not about dialogue because uh, it, the document mentions a national dialogue, uh, but it also mentions uh, the development of our terms of reference. Uh, so that meets the, the condition for, for a dialogue. So a national dialogue uh, in a nutshell is exchange of ideas or conversation between two or more parties on a broad range of uh, uh, issues of national co concern. That is a, is a dialogue is very broad. It, it can be a dialogue on um, uh, the role of uh, a culture in our political system. It can be a dialogue uh, about uh, service delivery. For example, let's have a national dialogue on service delivery. Let's have a national dialogue on poverty. The objective is to have a conversation and to use that conversation to drive public policy change. So the, the uh, national dialogue, the, the key objective uh, is to increase understanding of issues of national concern uh, that will then inform uh, a reform. And another thing about national dialogue uh, is that it is conducted within the confines and the text of the existing political system. It does not seek, and this is very important, national dialogues do not seek to introduce significant change to the political system. The outputs of national dialogues are not binding to parties. And the, the last thing about, uh, about national dialogue, uh, a very important point, is that the, the implementation of national dialogue uh, outputs depends on the political will of, of the existing government. So that is national um, dialogue. L let me quickly jump into the second one, which is a national political dialogue. National political dialogue uh, operates in a similar way as national uh, dialogue, uh, a conversation between two or more parties regarding a matter of uh, a national concern. However, and this is very important. National political dialogue is different. It's different in a sense that it focuses on political matters rather than on broad uh, issues. So the key objective of national dialogue is to introduce reform in key political institutions. It could be, uh, for example, to resolve constitutional inefficiencies. So if, for example, uh, we think that the existing constitution does not serve the interests of uh, the public. We can have a, a national political dialogue to actually resolve the inefficiencies of the constitution. It can be an, a national political dialogue on uh, parliamentary reforms or electoral reforms. So national political dialogues are specific to political matters. That's a, that's a very important um, a distinction between national dialogue and national political dialogue. Mm -hmm. So uh, national political dialogue also does not seek to introduce significant change to the broader political system. It only seeks to 
uh, introduce reforms on particular institutions, political institutions. Let me just um, um, jump onto the third one, which is a very important one, the, the high-level political negotiation. You know, high-level political uh, uh, negotiations, the key objective of this model is to introduce significant change to a political system or to achieve regime change. High-level political negotiations were used um, uh, to facilitate the transition, uh, transition of our South African political system from apartheid to inclusive democracy. So South Africa used high-level political negotiation to achieve significant change in, to the political system. The distinguishing feature of high-level political negotiation is the ability to make agreements. This is very important. The other two models, national dialogue, national political dialogue, they don't have the ability to make binding agreements. But whereas uh, high-level political uh, negotiations, they make uh, a binding agreements. The agreements that are made are binding to all parties to the negotiations. Uh, High-level political negotiations are also highly structured. That's the other key point uh, that uh, needs to be made. They are highly structured with a clear defined terms of reference, uh, objectives, scope, time frame, and the criteria for participation. The criteria for participation is, is really uh, important and it can be uh, controversial because in order to participate in a high level uh, political negotiations, you've got to be a, a political party uh, or um, a representative of the, the government. So uh, all parties to political negotiations have got to develop and agree on the selection criteria for participation. Who is eligible to participate? Because in, in Swaziland, for example, we've got many parties, political parties now. So not all the parties, political parties that exist in Swaziland or would exist, would be eligible to participate in a high-level political negotiation. We need to develop uh, the criteria for participation. What will for make example, them not eligible? And, uh, for, for, for example, a political party uh, may be so small that it is not representative of uh, you know, the population. So uh, 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 that could be another criteria that, that they, they are not eligible to, to participate because they, they, they are very minor. Another criteria would be um, uh, if a political party uh, advocates uh, a violence. So the, the, a decision can be made that uh, political parties who are advocating uh, violence uh, may not be eligible uh, uh, to participate in a negotiation. In a, because the, the whole uh, objective of a uh, negotiation is to achieve peaceful transition uh, to uh, a system that um, uh, we aspire for. That, that's very important. Uh, Before you continue on that note, um, was one of the criterias to qualify a movement or a political party or political formation to participate in this high-level national political negotiation. I'm just thinking about the regime that one would be expected or these parties would be expected to negotiate with. They're the ones who are perpetrators of violence. Are we saying that would be a consideration too? because we are dealing with the regime or they have a favorable space because they are the one who are 
in power. There needs to be talks uh, or, or rather preliminary discussion about the, you know, uh, the negotiation or preliminary discussion about dialogue, whichever model uh, we choose. Mm-hmm. We need to have uh, a conversation, a preliminary conversation to discuss the, the, the conditions for participation, to discuss uh, the scope of uh, uh, the process uh, itself. What is it that we want to, to achieve? Uh, what is it that uh, uh, should be included uh, in, a, in a dialogue or negotiation? We need to have that conversation. And that conversation needs to be inclusive. Uh, it needs to be collaborative. Uh, it needs to happen in an uh, environment that uh, is not political hostile. Without that preliminary uh, discussion, then we are actually setting ourselves for failure. Uh, it is a bad start. We need to have that conversation. And the government uh, controls the political environment. It needs to make the political environment friendly and inclusive. The other question that I have on that aspect, we have seen Sadak moving in, and then I think it's the chair of Sadak, President Amaposa, the president of South Africa. He had to swiftly move into Sweden in the midst of election to come and talk to the king. And somehow from there, I think it was in October, you covered it also in the article. Then we heard that there will be a national, a national dialogue, if I remember very well, which is, in your analysis, that's the, the no-go area. If you, if you were to advise the Swazi people, because it's not binding, it's just mm. dealing with minor uh, corrections of a, a political system here mm. and there, not binding. But that's what we are being set up for as Swazis. I must make it clear for the record that we are both Swazis here. So that people yes. know that these are two Swazis who are talking about the Swazi issues. They are, both, they are both in diaspora. So the question that I have is what's going on really here? I'm sure President Cyril Ramaphosa knows very well what you have just described about the differences between national dialogue, political dialogue, and political negotiation. And from what I hear from you, the best bet for the Swazi people, what they are seeking, is a political negotiation, which is this high-level negotiation that should be inclusive. We've also touched on the issue of terms of reference, that there should be terms of reference where there is participation, proper representation of all Swazi people across the board, it should be structured representation, I should say. Mm. But from what I've read from the media, it appears that only two parties have to come up with terms of reference. That is the king or the monarch and Sadak, not the rest of the Swazis. It seems like, again, we are back into this child's play when we are thinking this is serious, people have died. Can you just speak to that about the terms of reference and also the involvement of Sadak and President Ramaphosa. Yeah, uh, let me just start with uh, uh, the involvement uh, of uh, Sadak. Um, we are very grateful that um, uh, President Ramaphosa uh, took the, the, the position uh, and the decision to actually go and talk uh, with uh, King Musad. The situation in Swaziland is of concern to the whole region. It, it, it threatens um, uh, peace and stability in the region. So um, uh, Sadak has the role to ensure 
that uh, peace and stability in the region exists. So um, you, you did mention that um, you know President Ramaphosa is aware, he knows the differences between this. He's a, a highly skilled negotiator that he knows. My assumption, my assumption that being a negotiator, you know, when you negotiate, you put everything on the table and, to the, uh, and you negotiate. So the negotiation is not a zero-sum game. Uh, negotiation is not about losers and winners. Uh, whether you go to uh, a negotiation process, you must be prepared, prepared to lose because you want to reach an agreement. You, you want to actually uh, reach a compromise. So what I suspect happened uh, was that um, King Swati uh, preferred the national dialogue because it is back. Uh, <laughs> So um, uh, Ramaphosa had to start somewhere uh, and agree and say, okay, uh, national dialogue, at least we're starting somewhere. We're having a conversation about that now. But what I'm saying is that uh, where we actually want to learn, we want to learn on the high-level political negotiation. Dialogues, uh, like a national political dialogue, can be a stepping stone to a high-level political negotiation. Uh, as I said before, that uh, let us have uh, this uh, preliminary conversation, which is preliminary dialogue about high-level political negotiations. So uh, in terms of um, the terms of reference, that is very controversial. Uh, I've written you know, an article uh, just about that, uh, because uh, Sadak's role needs to be well-defined. What is Sadak's role in the political you know, process in Swaziland. As far as I uh, understand, Sadak's role is, the, is that of a, a peace broker. Sadak is not like a, a party to the proposed negotiations. Sadak will not be a party to um, a high-level political negotiations. Uh, Sadak will always be a peace broker. They, their role is to broker peace between the government and the people of Swaziland. So Sadat, therefore, cannot participate in the drafting of the terms of reference. The terms of reference are about setting instructions about what needs to be done. It's about uh, developing the scope of uh, the dialogue or political negotiations. And only the people of Swaziland can do that. And they, you know, the government cannot draft terms of reference on its own. It needs to open up the space. Uh, for key uh, stakeholders to participate in the drafting of the terms of reference. You need to uh, establish a framework of drafting the terms of reference. And if that needs to be transparent, it needs to be open uh, to, uh, so that the, uh, uh, the public knows what is going on. So at the moment, we are in this situation where we know that there's been agreement between SADC and the government to prepare for uh, a national dialogue. Whatever that means, uh, <laughs> I don't know. But we don't know who is actually involved. What shape is the process um, going to take? So they, they, it, it, we're in a situation of uh, the known unknowns. There's a lot that is not known. We know, but there's a lot that is, is unknown. We don't want to be in that situation. We need to move from the known unknowns to the non-known, where we know 
and we, we've got access to information. But who should be responsible? Who should be the umpire here that will make sure that the parties to the dialogue, whatever is, whether it's the dialogue or negotiation, are playing by the rules? Because mm-hmm. I've just listened to you say the people of Sudan should be involved in, in the uh, construction or couching of the terms of reference. But then who becomes the, the umpire to decide that, well, the regime is not playing by the rules or we, the people of Swaziland, are not playing by the rules with our representatives so that we don't have uh, just two parties who are at each other's throats and nobody's there to sound yeah. very and say, oh, no, 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 yellow card or red card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, uh, you're absolutely right. But I will use a, a different um, concept rather than uh, the empire. Yeah. I, 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 I will use the facilitator because that, 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 that's a common uh, concept that is used in negotiation and dialogue uh, uh, processes. The, the, the facilitator has to be a neutral, uh, a neutral person or a neutral organization. Uh, and to, to go back to your question, who should uh, nominate uh, the, the, the facilitator? The parties. Uh, in the dialogue or the parties in the political negotiations, they have the responsibility to decide who is going to facilitate the discussion. And again, that will form um, a part of the preliminary discussion, the preliminary conversation. How are we going to um, uh, appoint uh, a facilitator? What will be the role of the, the facilitator? We need to to discuss all these uh, um, uh, questions. Because if we don't uh, discuss all these questions and agree on, on all these questions, then we run the risk of uh, having the, the dialogue or the political ne- negotiations to fail. We're basically setting ourselves to fail. You know, once a dialogue or political negotiation fails, it is very, very difficult to bring it back on track, so we need to walk them uh, all these um, possibilities and say, okay, if this happens, uh, what are we going to do? We need to agree as you know parties, parties to uh, to a dialogue or political negotiations. So the facilitator is very important. We need to make sure that we uh, appoint a facilitator that is um, very experienced. That's criteria number one. They've got um, a, a good track record of facilitating national uh, dialogues or political negotiations. That they are neutral. So we cannot have SADAC as a facilitator because SADAC has got its own role, uh, which is a, a peace, peace broker. So what I, I want to remind the people of Southern is this. Uh, we need to learn from uh, the past mistakes uh, during the, 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 the constitution-making uh, process. Because I can see us going full circle, uh, you know, with, with, with this proposed dialogue. Before, it, it, doctor, actually... sorry that I, <laughs> I, I will cut you here. I usually don't do this. I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I wanted us to discuss that later before we exhaust this issue of uh, talks about talks. I just have yeah. one question on the talks about talks that you were talking about, that we should uh, involve everyone in deciding who, who becomes the facilitator before we go, let's say, to the high-level national negotiation or political negotiation. So 
who then decides the facilitator in relation to the talks about talks? I don't know if I'm making sense here. We will have yeah, a facilitator yeah, yeah. when we are having the negotiation. Yes. Before we get there, we need to have the talks about talks. So who is the one who will be the facilitating the talks about talks that are structuring the negotiation and how it should go that will include the facilitator of this high-level negotiation? Yeah, yeah and um, uh, that, that, that's uh, a bit tricky. Uh, the, the, reason I, the reason I'm asking yeah. this just to mm. uh, portray that is that we have had a, a conference where civil societies and political formation met. It was it in Rosbeck in South Africa. Uh, yeah. Yes. So mm. where we have had all these groupings coming together and coming up with terms of reference, talks about talks and about the dialogue. And there wasn't any philosophical play about high level political negotiation or political dialogue. They're just saying terms of reference for the dialogue. This is a, a dialogue. Mm. So now they've already come up with terms of reference in a sense. That's why I'm asking the question. Who should decide? Who should be the one facilitating the talks about talks? Yeah, yeah it's uh, interesting that you mentioned the uh, the gathering uh, in Bosbeck. I've got uh, mixed feelings about that uh, gathering. That gathering was facilitated by um, a new organization called the Letusong. Yes. Yeah. The question then I asked: Who mandated Letusong to facilitate? Was it a, was it an approach by the political party assemble or the multi-stake holder forum? Uh, it, it, where did they get the, the mandates? Uh, these are questions that people are, are asking. Yeah. And also the gathering itself to draft um, a terms of reference. The mandate uh, issue is a big is a big one. Who mandated PPA or MSF uh, and Letusonka to actually draft, you know, your terms of reference. Did they consult the people of Swaziland about drafting the, 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 the terms of reference? I, I don't know, but I doubt. So the question of mandate is, is critical. So when you go to uh, negotiations or dialogue as a political party or an organization, you've got to get mandates from your membership or your constituencies. You need to take the... Uh, the issue to your constituencies and say, okay, been invited to, you know, to participate in a dialogue or negotiation. Then the members will uh, develop the instruction for you uh, to participate. They will mandate you. So you are not there as a, um, uh, an individual or uh, just as a, you know, a, a leader of a political party. You are there because you have been mandated by your political party or your organization. So in the political space that is prevailing in Swaziland, uh, I'm sure it's difficult to get, I don't know how you will think about this. How does one get the mandate? Because we will understand that civil society is representing the people of Swaziland. They came in all shapes and sizes, so from uh, various uh, diversified groups from the kingdom. And you also have political power. Obviously, we have never really had a political, a fair political space where we say, well, this is a political party that represents the people of Swaziland because it, it has won elections such that now we can say it's representative of the people of Swaziland. See, here I'm ignorant. I see I'm exposing my ignorance here deliberately so that you can take over from this. How does one, in short, make sure that everybody in Swaziland is heard 
in order to come up with the box spec declaration that we have finally come up with. I understand your question that this is questionable as far as representation is concerned. All that we seek here is democracy. We make sure people are really represented, not people who decide to be representatives at the end of the day. The political environment uh, uh, in terms of does make it um, uh, difficult to determine uh, representation. You know, although political parties are banned uh, in Swaziland, uh, although there is the, uh, the suppression of uh, terrorism acts, which uh, declares organizations such as PDMO as um, a terrorist uh, organization. But if you look at um, the June-July uprising, the June-July uprising was a defiant campaign against those restrictions. We've got a capacity as, uh, as people to defy uh, repressive laws. The June-July uh, uprising did just that. So in terms of uh, political parties, they cannot grow and um, sell themselves to the people of Swaziland if they are not mobilizing. They need to mobilize, irrespective of repressive laws. We've seen in, in different countries, South Africa, for example, there were far repressive laws there than the repressive laws that exist in the country. We should not be limited by those repressive laws. Instead, we should use those repressive laws as a source of strength for us to grow. Political parties, they must organize minorities, And then that is the uh, way to show that um, you know, they, they are representative of a a certain uh, uh, constituents, or uh, could do uh, a survey uh, to actually test the support of our political parties. And I think that is going to be one of the things that is going to happen to actually come up with a criteria for participation. To go back, and there's a question that you asked about the, the facilitator of uh, uh, the talks about talks, or the, yes. the preliminary talks. The facilitator should emerge uh, from the meetings. Um, so we, we, we can go there uh, and then decide. Maybe one of uh, the very same thing uh, on the agenda to discuss is, is that we need a chair um, uh, for, for, for this preliminary talks. And the chair um, should be neutral, maybe somebody from, from outside the country um, uh, to come and, uh, and chair that, that preliminary, preliminary talks. Then the preliminary talks will then talk about uh, the facilitator of uh, the main dialogue or the main uh, political negotiations. Uh, representation is very important. And political parties and political organizations, civic society organizations, they should start to demonstrate that they've got support from uh, a broader community. They should start to show that. Mm. We cannot just claim that we've got support without evidence that we've got support. That's a very tricky one, Mr. <laughs> Dr. Matsebula. Yeah, yeah. I've just been listening to you and my mind goes down to Swaziland and looking at what has happened, over 100 people who have died when they were trying to mobilize as much as mobilization and organization are two different things. It's a fair process. I understand that what should be happening, that's democracy. But <laughs> it looks like that's a very high ask because yes, of yes. the prevailing uh, climate, a political climate in Swaziland. Yes, yes, absolutely. And uh, one point uh, I would like to, to make uh, yes. about the, the June-July uh, uprising. You can see that uh, the, the uprising was sporadic. 
uh, there was no um, uh, central leadership. Yes. The, the, the uprising presented a rare opportunity for political uh, organizations or political parties to rise to the challenge and uh, uh, give leadership to, uh, uh, to, to the uprising. But there was massive uh, failure of leadership. There was absence of leadership. And that should not have occurred. Uh, we should have seen those polit political parties that are claiming support. They should have been there. The leaders should have been there, giving direction, leading you know, the uprising. But it was already young people were there from different uh, organizations. But they were asking for political leadership they did not get, which was very unfortunate. <laughs> you are pointing <laughs> a finger on that one, Dr. Matsevula, because <laughs> in my mind, I'm thinking of all those uh, formations that claim to have uh, political party status. And I remember watching on Facebook, uh, Pudemo, three members coming together, Secretary General, the President, and trying to speak to the nation. And you will see the MPs that were involved and then you will see NLC also having their own space, trying to it's to take, I mean, to occupy the space. And you, yes. I, I agree with you that there's been a vacuum of leadership. But again, this caught everybody by surprise. The regime itself, all that it thought was, it was trying to block the dam from breaking and washing the community. But yeah. <laughs> the opposite happened. So yes, what yes, I'm trying yes. to say is this, everybody was caught by surprise. But obviously, mm -hmm. I agree with you that even if you've been caught by surprise, this continued for a number of days. Real leadership should have emerged there if it was there. Yes, yeah, yeah. You, you, you rise to the occasion. Yes. Uh, you know, leaders should have risen to that occasion. But they, they did it. That, that, that was my observation and observation of many other people. Yes. Uh, that, that, that they didn't rise to the to, to the occasion, and that raises a very serious uh, question. Uh, when we, we are talking about building uh, an alternative uh, a country, an alternative society, an alternative uh, Switzerland, uh, we need leadership. We need it now, not tomorrow. We need that leadership to, to rise to the occasion and lead and provide direction. Yeah, now let's get back to the question that I, I stopped you on. You, you write in your article, and I will quote, to understand the concerns about the SADAC, that is the Southern African Development Community, sponsored national dialogue, you will have to go back to the Commonwealth Secretariat sponsored Tinkundla constitution making project. In other words, you are saying, in order to understand where we are and what we need to be careful about at this stage, we must go back to the process that led to the drafting of the present oppressive constitution that mm -hmm. seems mm -hmm. to serve only the monarchy, not the people of, of Swaziland. There are beautiful clauses there, but on the day they are useless. If we've got one man, that has usurped all the power through this process that appears to have been illegitimate and has not been yeah. legitimized by the Swazi people. So yeah. may I have you go there and analyze that uh, in relation to the situation now that is prevailing? Because to, to you as a writer, 
these have got striking similarities. Yes, um, uh, absolutely. They, they, uh, got striking similarities, and we we seem to be really going full circle in terms of our, uh, what, what what happened um, uh, during the uh, constitution uh, making uh, uh, process. I listened to the announcement by uh, the royal family, and uh, I recall them using exactly the same uh, or similar you know words when they uh, they were announcing for sale and it, it was all that you know the announcement of uh, the constitution making uh, created a lot of uh, political uh, excitement the mm-hmm. same is happening now this has created uh, a lot of uh, excitement but do we actually know what has been agreed or what has been proposed uh, the simple answer to that is that no, we don't. Mm. There's a lot of uh, unknowns here. Uh, so my advice to the people of Swaziland, uh, to political uh, 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 leaders, is that please go back to that period and learn uh, what happened. Let us not make the same mistakes. Uh, because uh, you, you, your listeners will recall that um, when uh, um, Busella was... Um, was announced. Political leaders, uh, such as uh, the late uh, Maro Masogu, the uh, president of uh, PDMO, and uh, also the late um, uh, Jan Sitore, uh, was the president or secretary general of uh, the uh, SFTU at that time. They were invited in their personal capacity to, to participate. And that created a lot of uh, you know, division, uh, a pro democracy movement. Uh, in the end, uh, Pidemo took the decision that uh, Amaro uh, wasn't going to participate. Um, he probably went to um, you know, a few meetings, but then we, we would prove him. Uh, although he was there as an individual, but he was uh, Pidemo president. Mm. Uh, and the people, they will see him and they said, oh, PDMO is participating. So that, that was a strategy that, that, that the regime uh, used. But the whole you know, process of the constitution-making uh, process was so vague. And that was done intentionally. That was done intentionally uh, to withhold information, important information, to actually not explain the, 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 the process itself. That was intentional to confuse the public, then dominate the process itself. So what we should have done as a liberation uh, community, we should have taken control of that process, but we didn't. So that's why I'm saying, let us go back and learn uh, what actually occurred. So now uh, Mswati has announced, or Mswati and Sadak um, have um, agreed on a, a vague uh, national dialogue. We should take control of this situation now before it turns into the Dinku and Javusela process. We should take control of this process now. Uh, we should um, be approaching Sadak and say, Sadak, this model that you and Mswati are proposing is not going to deliver the outcomes that we seek as people of Swaziland. It's going to land us in the same position as the, the constitution. We don't want that. We want to uh, decide, as people of Swaziland, decide on a, uh, a process or framework that will achieve what we want to achieve. What we want to achieve is significant political 
uh, change. We want regime change. We don't want reforms. We want to rebuild this country. We cannot rebuild this, this country on a, a thing called Lapla. Because the, the, the proposed dialogue, to be honest, this is what is going to happen. It's going to uh, strengthen the Tinkulla platform. Uh, we don't want that. We want the country to be rebuilt on a uh, on democratic principle without Tinkulla. So it makes sense to advocate for scrapping off of the existing constitution because occasionally, whatsoever has been said, we are driven back to the constitution and say, oh, there is a law there. The law says there should be national dialogue. There is a Sibaya or the Al-Kekripaya where national meetings are held. We know, as was this experientially, that that has always become a monologue. So the question again is, should we advocate for scrapping of the constitution before we can have this high-level political negotiation? When I was uh, talking about the differences between national dialogue, political dialogue, and um, uh, uh, high-level political negotiations, basically the, the first two, the national dialogue, national political dialogue, they occur or rather are conducted within the confines of uh, the current political system, okay. uh, within the, the constitution. If you look at the, uh, the summary reports um, uh, that was released by uh, President uh, Ramaphosa after the meeting with Nsuade, it mentions the constitution, it mentions the Tinkunda uh, structures that you know, this process has to occur within those structures. If you said the national dialogue, we need to occur within the existing constitution, you are effectively excluding political parties because mm. political parties are not recognized in the current constitution. So we need to either amend the, you know, the current uh, uh, constitution or uh, suspend it uh, until, until a new constitution is developed. Because the constitution now is a constraint for participation mm. in, a, in a dialogue or political uh, negotiation. How are they going to allow political parties to be represented when the political parties are actually not recognized in the constitution that they, they are banned? So you, you need to unban the um, uh, political parties. And to do that, you need to either amend the constitution or suspend it. Uh, in my view, it needs to be suspended because there are lots of, you know, uh, restrictions w- within the constitution. Firstly, uh, political parties not being recognized. Secondly, uh, King Mswati having uh, these absolute powers, uh, control over the, the three arms of, uh, of government. Uh, anything that is produced or product of a negotiation to implement them, Mswati has to agree. Mm. So if we remove the constitution, we remove its political control, then we've got a chance to actually, you know, move forward. We can't move forward under the current uh, political environment. So that suggests that we need to have a transitional law that will govern all the problems. Because if we remove the constitution, what are we left with? Are we left with previous uh, legislations that were similar like 1973? Uh, It's easy to kick those in when... We suspend the constitution. So what do we do? Do we have some quick fix formula kind of law that will be governing the situation while we are transitioning to uh, the foreseeable future of democracy in Switzerland? Yeah, 
you will correct me here, here uh, being a, a legal expert, I'm, I, I'm not. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, uh, King Sopo's uh, suspended the independence uh, constitution uh, through the 1973 decree. I think it was a chief justice uh, at that time that uh, uh, concluded that uh, uh, it was wrong for, uh, for the king to uh, suspend the constitution. He didn't have the power to do that. Uh, for us, this might be, you know, a bit tricky. Uh, I'll leave it um, uh, to the experts. And, uh, <laughs> w- w- whether there's a case that says, okay, that was wrong. So mm-hmm. then we've got an ave- avenue to reinstate the independence constitution mm. as, a, uh, a, a, as an interim, you know, um, a, a law uh, that, that, that will govern the country while, while we... And negotiate uh, the future of this country and negotiate a new constitution. But for me, you know, this constitution that uh, uh, that exists today, we, we, we need to also, you know, throw away the 1973, you know, decree mm-hmm. completely um, uh, and, and this constitution as well. Because this constitution, uh, the way it was developed, it didn't really. Uh, include the voices of uh, the people of Swaziland. It was a, a constitution that was uh, developed between the, the royal family and the Commonwealth uh, Secretariat. So we don't want this to happen again. You know, having you know the royal family and uh, a, a foreign body uh, to decide our future. Uh, we can't have uh, the royal family and Sadak deciding our future. Uh, this is about. Uh, our future as, uh, you know, the people of Swaziland, we need to have a voice. We need to have a say. We need to take control of the process. We need to drive this process. And we cannot do that under the current political condition. And that brings us to probably, I would say, the last question, uh, hopefully here. You also express trust issues in the article. You will mm-hmm. pardon me, I'll keep going back there because you are raising quite critical issues. Trust is something that has been lost in almost all public institutions, not just in Swaziland, even internationally. You will have yeah. the WHO now, you see that people, they doubt them because of the hip hop that they've been playing, hoping, uh, jumping here, and then uh, the next minute they are saying something else. And then the third minute they're saying the third thing. And you mm-hmm. also have other global political structures that you know, has raised so many questions, the United Nations, the Security Council, and the various decisions that have come in terms of security issues. But the whole thing that I'm leading to is showing that globally, trust is lacking from we, the people, those who are covered, in a sense. So in Swaziland, Mm, it's mm, clear mm. that the government is not trusted. There are newspapers Mm, mm. such as uh, Swaziland News, we've got also the bridge, that have shown that the media in Swaziland has been captured. So so, there's a lot of distrust that has been created. How can we deal with this issue? Because we see that trust has been eroded in this institution. What can be done to restore it so that the people Mm. will say, the facilitator, Sadak, we don't want you there because you've got a track record of being a failure in the region, and uh, you have already failed us because some of the yeah. leaders have come up to side with the regime when our present sisters were dying, you see. Yes. So yes. how do we restore that trust that will say, even though the king is a political figure that has got connections all over the world, how do we avoid a situation where you are bringing somebody 
that will be a friend of the king that they can have a conversation behind the scenes. And he comes in uh, as a trusted figure to come and facilitate here. I, I think you get the gist of my question mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. trust. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, you're absolutely right, my brother. Trust uh, is so fundamental. It is an important aspect of our governments uh, uh, and political leg- legitimacy. Uh, without a trust, you can't uh, claim uh, the mandate uh, to govern. If you lose public trust, you have lost the mandate to govern. And um, trust is acquired. Uh, it's acquired through good practices of our government. Uh, transparency, accountability, responsibility, and good economic management are at the heart of our good governance. And good governance is the source of public trust. In Swaziland, as you have mentioned, public trust in government has been in serious decline for for many years. The people of Swaziland have completely lost trust in this government. In particular, you know, uh, during the, the recent events, the June uh, July uprising. So, you know, during that period, the killing of uh, unarmed civilians, that has contributed to this massive decline of public trust in government. This government is not trusted by the people of Swaziland. This government will never be trusted by the people of Swaziland. No nation can trust a government that oppresses, kills its own people, and loots the country's uh, resources. That is very, very critical. How do we restore trust? We can only restore trust in Swaziland by changing the government. But we need to build trust in the organizations, political organizations, political parties that will lead this uh, this country. If the people of Swaziland have got no trust uh, in the political uh, parties that they can lead this country, then the future is bleak. What is then the responsibility of uh, the political parties is to rebuild public trust in them that they can lead this country, they can govern this country differently because that's what people uh, of Swaziland are looking for, an alternative. And the political parties in Swaziland have got the responsibility to demonstrate that to the people of Swaziland that uh, you can trust us. They cannot just say, Please trust us. They need to demonstrate that they can be trusted by articulating their policies for the future of this country. What is their policy on economic growth? What is their policy uh, on quality of, uh, of education? What is their policy on job creation? What is their policy on you know, reducing unemployment, especially among young people? The unemployment rate among young people is just ridiculously high. What is the, their policy on improving public health service? The public health sector in Swaziland has virtually collapsed. What is then the alternative? Are we going to continue on the same road or we need to turn the corner? So what I've always say, said is that Swaziland is now at crossroads. We need to decide which way we turn. Do we take the road that will lead the country to think about uh, the future uh, and have a, a, a fresh start. Or we take the road of Timkunda and maintain the, the status quo. I don't want that to happen. But the people of Swaziland are really stuck because uh, none of the political parties that exist uh, in Swaziland have clearly articulated the vision for the future of this country. That needs to happen. That needs to happen. 
Well, uh, we have come to the close of our discussion on these three really interesting uh, concepts, uh, political dialogue, national dialogue, and uh, lastly, and most importantly, of course, is the high-level political negotiation, which is the one desirable as far as I understand the concept together, that is the government uh, incumbent and the, we, the people of Swaziland. Dr. Matsabula, thank you so much for agreeing to discuss these highly uh, driven political issues. Where I'm sure just as a parting shot, you will want to tell people where they can find you. Thank you very much, my brother. And before uh, we started, uh, you were introducing yourself and uh, I said, um, uh, you are my uncle. <laughs> because <laughs> my mother was uh, uh, in Cambodia. Uh, yeah. So I, I will address you from now onwards. If we will have another conversation, I will address you as my uncle, uh, Madume. Uh, thank you very much uh, for having me. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, express my my views about um, uh, political development uh, in Swaziland. I think and I hope that our discussion today uh, will contribute to the broader uh, discussion. Uh, because uh, in my view, whatever we choose, whichever model we choose, national dialogue, national political dialogue, high-level political uh, negotiations will define our success uh, as a nation, uh, will define our future. So uh, it is very, very important that uh, as people of Swaziland um, educate ourselves about these um, processes. Where uh, people can find me, uh, unfortunately, I'm not a Twitter or Facebook user, but I'm a WhatsApp user. Uh, I've got an email that uh, they can contact me and, and have better uh, conversation. That, um, uh, WhatsApp um, number is uh, plus 61410079064. So the email address is um, A for Apple, P for Peter, E for Egg, C for Charlie, 20198 gmail.com. Thank you so much. Have a a great day. I know it's in Australia now, it's uh, heading towards evening. Or oh, it's evening already here yes. in the United States where I am. We are just one minute away from midnight. Anyways, oh. have a very good day. <laughs> you have a very good night. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, uh, it was uh, really great uh, talking to you. Great.